When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. All right, Reds, Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast from The Athletic. The 12 days he cases over! Hooray! We'll talk about the win at Wolves before looking forward to the start of the Europa League campaign. And here to do it with us, we have James Pearce and Cy Hughes. And as ever, let's start with those three words that you hate so badly, Simon. I love them. I absolutely love them. Where's this this come from? Oh, it's last week, isn't it, when I slagged the guy off? Sorry. Um, So my three words of this week are love 12.30 kickoffs. (laughs) Hang on. That's 17 words, isn't it? Is it? Uh, All right, sorry. Right, okay. I don't know whether we're twelve thirty. How many words that yeah. constitutes? No, no, no. It works for me, James. Mentality monsters back. No, mentality monsters back. I like it. I like it. Um, ah, do you know what? I mean, I'm not even going to say any because our friends over at the Walk On Podcast Facebook group say it better than me. Sam Dix, Lake Gold Bliss. Max Reynolds, results obscuring problems. Ooh. And Tom Wilkinson, what a bench. Steve A. Martin, Thursday night football. Well, someone's excited. (laughs) To join our community of listeners on Facebook, just search Walk On Podcast and join the group. James, we are there because your presence in the press box was, or the lack of your presence in the press box was noticed. Set the tongues wagging, didn't it, Tony? Um, it certainly did. No, it was. I was there. I, do you know what? It was. I actually. It was so long ago. I was in the away end at a Liverpool game that I can't actually remember. It was. It was my lad's first away game. He's been to quite a few of the homes, but yeah, with Greg Evans, our colleague, living in the Midlands, it had long since been sorted that he would do Wolves away, and I'd have the weekend off. So got a couple of tickets in the away end and. Um, yeah, it was a hell of a day. It was uh, it was like a crash course for Max, who's eleven in 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 the way day following Liverpool, wasn't it? With the the range of emotions, sat there at half time thinking, when did Liverpool last plumb these depths? Because it was it was it wasn't far off as bad as it was at Molyneux last season. What was that February time? And then the elation of that second half revival and Harvey Elliott jumping into the crowd just just beneath us and. And all the uh, all the experience of being hugged by by lots of lots of uh, new friends over the course of the the afternoon. So um, so yeah, it was it was a hell of a day. It felt big, didn't it? In the context of, I'm sure we'll talk about more about the the you know breaking the, that twelve thirty curse and and the fact that you know too often last season when Liverpool's backs were against the wall, they just folded. Yet to respond like they did you know, and show that kind of resilience bodes really well. Do you know, I'm just going to digress slightly because Max at 11 is first away game. It's brilliant. That was, I was that old in my first away game, which was 1972 at Old Trafford and we got beat. 
um, 2 0. Sorry, what was your first away game? That's a good question. I only. I remember my first home game, which was Coventry City at home. First away game, I think it was. I think it must be Man City at some point um, at Main Road in the early to mid 90s. You know what? I can't even remember what the score was, which is really terrible. I should be able to remember that, but. I just remember the size of the stands, at, at the kickbacks at, at City. Um, Phenomenal place. Yeah, and it being like sort of, it felt very hostile, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember that. I remember, so this would have been, this would have been before, because it was the famous game when Liverpool uh, effectively relegated City in the 2-2 draw in the last game of the season when City thought that they'd stayed up. It was before then. So it was some period, it was at some point in that Belair, because remember my dad thinking he didn't want to be travelling that far. And um yeah, I think he thought that City was like sort of a safer bet than Old Trafford, but it didn't feel that way. No, no. <laughs> well, talking of hostile, James. Um, <laughs> you and Jürgen? No, there's there's no hostility there. It was it's all fine. It was um he doesn't like talking about twelve thirty kickoffs, does he? I may maybe I, I wasn't as clear as I could have been, but my point wasn't how do you feel about kicking off at 12.30 at Molyneux? Because I think everyone knew what the answer was going to be to that. It was more, why do you think Liverpool have struggled so much at 12.30s? And, you know, I pointed out the fact that Liverpool had six, six of them last season, didn't win any of them. And is there something, you know, more than just lack of preparation time and recovery time? Is there something more to it that makes it problematic getting a team ready to play at 12.30 on a Saturday? Because... I, 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 in looking back, I probably should have followed up once he'd once he'd taken exception to it to say, well, you actually had a full week to prepare for Bournemouth away. You had a full week to prepare for Fulham away. You, you had a much changed team, I think, on a Tuesday night FA Cup replay at Wolves before Chelsea at home. So you know, there, there's half of this twelve thirties last season where a quick turnaround certainly wasn't at the heart of what was wrong with what followed on the pitch. So uh, that was my point. Can I just say, I, I, I don't think you asked the question in the wrong way at all. I mean, I, I only watched this from afar, purely from an entertainment perspective, because as, as you know, James, I, I don't do press conferences anymore. And I thought the question was fair. It just seemed to me that he didn't doesn't like being reminded of his, his bad record, really, in, in those kickoffs, which is a, a shame he sort of, Wanted to react in that in that way. I I felt. Um, you see, this this is why he keeps losing his sporting directors because he could he, he kicks off at the wrong time. That's ironic, well, yeah. isn't it? I, I enjoyed uh, James's conclusion that uh, Liverpool only kicked off at half one anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I mean, you know, realistically, all joking aside, the problem is we get twelve thirty kickoffs because was so attractive to television. And, you know, it's it's one of those things, you know, with, when you're good and people want to watch it, television's going to put you on at times you don't want to play. And, and that that's the bottom line, James. And so does Jürgen have good reason to kick off? Well, I think there's a few different strands to that. One where I do have some sympathy with him is when you look at it throughout his Liverpool reign, that was the 12th time Liverpool have had the 12.30 slot on a Saturday directly after an international break. And that number will go to 13 after the next international break because they've got it again when they, they've got the Merseyside Derby at Anfield. And the next on the list is Tottenham and Chelsea on six. So that is a big discrepancy. You know, it will be next month, there'll be more than double Liverpool have been in that slot than anyone else. 
And Liverpool's record at, in 12, 30 games isn't great when you, you know, I did crunch the numbers thanks to some help from our friends at Opta last week. And when you look at the main kickoff slots over Saturday, Sunday, midweek, you know, the, the points per game ratio, 12.30 on a Saturday comes bottom. So in that respect, I think he has got a, a valid complaint, although it still comes back to the club sign up to these TV deals. That's the thing. And we, you know, you, we've been talking about this now for years. And, you know, it's it's for the clubs to to agree those things with broadcasters because I don't think you can blame TNT Sports as it is now because as you said Tony you know when you've got the first pick of the games for that weekend you're going to gravitate towards the bigger teams that you know will bring in the biggest viewing figures and also the fact that you know that 12:30 slot as well is prime time in Asia where we know Liverpool have got you know a vast vast fan base so I just, I think, unless the clubs get together, that's where change has to come from. I don't. Otherwise, you just keep going round and round in circles, don't you? In terms of, you know, blame. You know, why have the TV companies done it? And it's like, well, they've done it because they can. And it, and until the clubs, you know, when they, when it comes to negotiating the next TV deal, that's where managers need to be speaking to chief executives and owners and saying, right, can we at least have? You know, if we're going to have to persist with the twelve thirty kickoffs, can we at least have a situation where? You can only be picked for that slot, I don't know, three or four times in a season maximum. Because I don't think you can solely blame the TV companies. Because, you know, if you're TNT Sports, you aren't going to pick Burnley against Nottingham Forest, are you? If you've got if you've got free reign, that's the reality. Can I just say, I mean, I think there's a disparity between not just Jürgen Klopp, but what the managers think the TV companies want and actually what the TV companies want. So I think in Jürgen Klopp and other managers thinking is, well... If you're giving us a 12.30 slot and it's straight after an international break, we're not going to have the time to prepare to provide the level of or the standard of football that you're expecting. But the reality is the TV companies aren't necessarily expecting the standard of football to be very high. It's the jeopardy that they want. They want. They ideally would like to screen a match where some, one of the best teams is getting beaten by one of the teams that maybe isn't so good. So it's a bit of a leveller. And I think they know that as well. So there's these things that are at play. I mean, I, I can understand why Jurgen Klopp would be annoyed because every every single manager wants the maximum amount of time to prepare their team and to give them give them the opportunity to to offer their best showing. And kicking off at twelve thirty after an international break does not give that opportunity. Yeah, yeah, and that, you know, I mean, I think one thing we can say is that. All managers are rational at times. I've never met one who was completely, utterly <laughs> sane. And you know what? They're brilliant when you're not talking about football. They're, they're marvellous company. But, you know, once you poke them about the game or something, one of the hobby horses, they go off on one and it's brilliant. <laughs> well, thank you to James for providing the entertainment over the weekends. That's... Do you want me to just read out some of the direct messages I had? No. <laughs> little Gremlin was one of them. Sorry, Vile Little Gremlin. I took exception to little. The right to be there, aren't you? <laughs> well, I, I just like to clarify something here because there's. I mean, I, I thought James asked a question on on Friday that was relevant. You know, it's what people are talking about, and I, I suspect what Jurgen Klopp, in the right circumstance, would would like to have a better public hearing. But there's this sort of feeling at the moment that, as the Athletic, we're we're writing about things that are critical of the club all the time, which I don't think is particularly fair. I think we're just reporting on things that people are interested in if that upsets the manager or the players or a certain amount of staff then so be it you know it's whether it's relevant and in the public interest that we write and ask those questions 
Um, it's not to try and annoy people. It's try to get elicit answers that might give you know people more of an understanding of what's going on. And unfortunately, you know, after what happened on Friday, it seemed that that you know conversation was was diluted into Jurgen Klopp hates you. He doesn't trust the Athletic. This is all because of something that Simon Hughes me wrote several months ago. I have no idea whether that's the case, but we're just asking questions that I think that hopefully that the fans and, and not just fat Liverpool fans, but other people would want to read about. It's as simple as that for me. If there's something that everybody's talking about or something that you know about, you're going to ask that question. Uh, it's not to try and annoy somebody. The last thing that you really want to do is is put somebody in a position where they give you an answer, which creates a, 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 a amount of hostility where you don't actually get any insight into what's going on. Have your say and get involved by emailing walk-on at theathletic.com. Simon, we've spoken about Jürgen, but what did you make about what went on on the pitch at Molyneux? I mean, Liverpool, I've got to say, I said it last week, but they, they have really surprised me. Uh, I know the first half at Wolves was very poor and it, it sort of had all the hallmarks of the performance there last season, you know, very, very slow. But you've got to give you know credit here because I think the manager reacted to that very well. At half time, he made you know a change that needed to be made. I think he admitted that he sort of made a mistake, really, which you don't get too often from Jurgen Klopp. If I'm being honest, but you know starting Alexis McAllister with the conditioning that he'd had before, I think was a mistake. I had a bit of sympathy with the player because you know I don't think anybody really understands if you're not a footballer what it's like to play in Bolivia at altitudes, you know, barely whatever it was, 50 hours before, and then fly halfway across the world and then be expected to play a Premier League game where clearly, you know, the Wolves team are right up for that. But I think they, they corrected the mistakes very early and the second half, they were absolutely brilliant. You know, so much, so many things to be positive about that that second half. It was like the Liverpool of old, like going to watch sort of Liverpool of, you know, the sort of the period between 2018 and 2020 where they were just right at it and overwhelmed the opponents with the, the effort and the, the quality of player that they had. I mean, Dominic uh, Sabozlai was absolutely superb. I absolutely loved watching him in that game. And I think, you know, very, very encouraging signs from him. Just looks right at home straight away. I don't want to go too over the top, but it's the, the closest thing that I've seen to sort of a Steven Gerrard-style performance over a long period of time, albeit I would I would say, you know, with a, with a level of control in the game where he just dictated everything that went on. I I thought James, go back to the three words, and no no one ever wants to go back to the three words. But Max Reynolds, when he said results obscuring problems, uh, do you think that's too harsh? Yeah, yeah, I'd say it probably is a little bit harsh. I kind of know what he's getting at because yeah, thirteen points out of fifteen, you think wow, they're absolutely flying yet. Yeah. When you start to break down on some of those games, you could pick holes in it. But what I would say is, it, you know, you, you have to frame it in the context of so many changes over the summer. And I think when you throw into the mix as well, you know, no Van Dyke for two games, no Trent at the weekend, new midfielders coming into the team, other other new faces that have barely featured yet. You know, anyone would have taken that. It's a lovely position to be in, to have 13 points out of 15 and nitpicking and saying, ah, but what about this? What about that? Well, I tell you what, it's a lot easier to sort out those problems when you're winning and when you've got momentum behind you than than when negativity is swirling and and you you feel like you're you're under pressure. So, um, 
yeah, I think it's not sustainable, is it? I don't think I don't think Liverpool can keep on playing the way they are doing and expect you're always going to dig it out like they did at Newcastle, you know, like they did at Molyneux last weekend. But I also think the longer we get into the season, the more time these players spend together on the training field and off it, I think that stability that's lacking at the moment will come. There's definitely a few issues to chisel out because I don't think Liverpool can really play the way that Klopp wants him to play without Trent. I think that that you know, hopefully Trent will be back for for West Ham on on Sunday. You know, he won't feature against Lask on Thursday. But I think there's some, certainly some issues there because you know it was it just didn't work at all, did it? In that first half on the weekend, with you know sometimes Gomez was drifting into the middle a bit. You know, in the way that Trent does do, but he, he just doesn't have the, sk- the same skill set when he's playing right back out there. But you know, you'd, you've got to give Klopp credit for the change of formation, the change of personnel that got them going in the second half, and the, Liverpool have got a fantastic platform to build on. Yeah, and that's the one thing, Simon, that we've talked about in the past. We've been critical sometimes of Klopp substitutions too late, too inco- incoherent, and you know, it might be harsh some of the criticism, but you got to. Bang on, didn't he, at Molyneux? Yeah, definitely. I think he did. Um, as I said, the half-time substitution was the right one to make. And then from there, I mean, I thought it was an interesting performance from Nunes. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say it was a polished performance, but his mere presence on the pitch just seemed to frighten Wolves. All these words that we've used to describe the way he plays, you know, he is he is chaotic, but he gets people on the back foot and at his best gets defenders running towards their own goal, which is not what defenders, the position that defenders want to be in. You hate being turned around. You hate facing your own goal. My view is that one of the biggest challenges for Liverpool or for Jurgen Klopp this season is to find a way of making sure that Nunes is comfortable within the system that Liverpool play. If they get the best out of Nunes, you know, they're gonna they're gonna be very difficult to stop, I think. I mean, I think now, given the start of the season that he's had, he, he should probably be starting the games. But they've got so many options in attack. I can understand why he wants to sort of rotate that around a fair bit. But yeah, on Saturday, the substitutions were spot on, uh, made at the right times, decisive. You know, I think any manager can make an error, but it's it's how they react to that error. And and, and at the weekend, he, he reacted very well and it played a, a big role in Liverpool getting the victory. You know, one of the things that always characterised Alex Ferguson for me, James, was he might pick the wrong team, but he wasn't shy of making changes. You know, he, he'd bring people off after 20 minutes and change the shape. Half uh, time, you know, that was that was a good time to make the changes. But well, more than that, you know, when, when he brought Gakpo off, you think to yourself, hey, he's just scored, what's going on? But it was a masterstroke. Yeah, yeah, it worked. And it obviously, it was it was a case of sticking to his, gu- his guns, wasn't it? Because the, the subs were ready and waiting to come on um, before the goal went in. And um, some managers might have thought, well, I, you know, I can't take him off now. I'd say 99% of the time when someone scores, that's going to come off. You know, like, it's like, sit down, <laughs> lad. You're not going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, I, you know, it it worked. As, as Simon said, you know, I, you know, I, I love watching... Darwin Nunes play because he just makes things happen doesn't he and where in that first half it was so painful watching it because there was no focal point in the attack there was no one running in behind they were so static it was as lethargic and lifeless as I've seen Liverpool for such a long time and then you contrast that with what happened when Nunes was on suddenly 
there was someone there holding the ball up, stretching defenders, bursting in behind, linking play. I, I think there's massive signs of progress with him that are, is really, really exciting. And yeah, the subs the subs had a, a huge impact, didn't they? I mean, Diaz, from the second he came on, Liverpool looked a, a different team. And, and let's not overlook as well the impact to Harvey Elliott, because I, I think he's improved Liverpool every time he's come on the pitch so far this season. And again, someone who I think, you know, there always seems to be someone, doesn't there, who, who gets kind of stick or who gets kind of, I think, kind of unfairly judged by a section of the fan base and, and pay, probably with all the changes in midfield this summer, people thought, well, you know, Harvey Elliott probably be lucky if he gets Lask and Union away in the Europa or something. But, you know, he, he's shown that he's such a valuable squad player and he's still so young, but has got great experience under his belt already. And he's such an intelligent footballer. Yeah, I, I think he really added something to that that midfield that enabled Liverpool to push on and win the game. There's always a whipping boy or two, isn't there, Simon? And Elliot seems to be one of them. I think um, Curtis Jones gets a bit of it as well. But both of them offer something really worthwhile in that midfield, especially the way it's been restyled and it's become so dynamic. Well, I thought Curtis Jones' second half quietly had an excellent game. Just in terms of the way he used the ball, you know, the defensive positions that he picked up, you know, stopping the Wolves' counter-attacks. It was an important role, really, because Liverpool sort of switched to a 4-4-2. Obviously, Zobosly was sort of the main creator in that 4-4-2, which meant that Curtis Jones had to sort of be a bit more cautious with the way he played. But I just thought he, he was excellent and gave Liverpool a bit of protection at certain times as well. I really, really like him as a player. I always have. You probably get accused of local bias because he's from Liverpool, you know, if, if you're from Liverpool or you support or you've lived in the city for a long period of time, you want to see the local players do well. That hasn't always been the case, of course, Tony. If you go back sort of sort of two decades ago when when there were more local players, I think they got it worse. You know, if you ask Jamie Carragher. Oh yeah, he got, yeah. He got it worse. Well, I think I think it's you know with the way the world's changed and fewer local players coming through, I sort of have the, the you probably do maybe give them have a bit more patience with them. I mean, Curtis Jones is obviously in his early 20s now. He's been in and, in, in and around. There's a nice cliche for it. The first team for a long time now. Well, I, like James said with with, with uh, Harvey Elliott, I think you're seeing signs of maturity in his game. Uh, I think you saw that in the summer when he played for the England under-21s. You know, one of the outstanding players in that tournament, which is always a good barometer of where players are when you can see what they're up against, against players of a similar age from the other elite countries. And Curtis Jones was a probably one of England's most important players. You know, he's, he's probably reaching the point now where he, he needs to sort of find his, his place in the team in a more regular basis, I'd say. But that sort of performance of maturity, I'd say, against Wolves uh, has given him, you know, a, a really, should give him a lot of confidence. And what I like to see as well, you know, he's interacting with the other players on the pitch while there's little gaps in the game. You can see him talking to the other players. He's, he, he's, he's, his concentration level, it shows to me that his concentration levels are really high. You know, that he's really thinking about what's coming next and where he should be and where other players need to be. And he seems to be embracing that responsibility. I think that the next 18 months are key for him, you know, to, to really sort of become one of the, the main players in the team. But there's so much competition in that area now. You know, Harvey Elliott will want to play in that position as well. Uh, which can only be a good thing. I, I agree with James. What I like about Carvey Elliott is, even when he comes off the, the bench, he affects the game. So I think when you're affecting the game from the bench, it's a great option to have. But the problem is, the manager might start thinking, well, let's play him off the bench all the time. Mm, yeah, yeah. you don't want to be a super sub. Alonso, 
here, it's Fernand and count! It's the first in a Liverpool shirt for the Dutchman! Talk about players who, you know, had, had a huge impact and perhaps didn't quite get the credit they deserved and was sometimes the whipping boy. It's 17 years from when Dirk Count scored his first goal for Liverpool and... What a player he was, James. But also, what a fella. Yeah, absolutely love him to bits. I was very fortunate to spend a weekend with him in Norway, actually, at the start of at the start of August at a, a fan festival near um, just north of Oslo. And yeah, his his love for the club is as strong as it's as it's ever been. And he was a fantastic servant. I think whatever you people would say about him, they you, with with Dirk Kout, you knew. You always got a hundred percent. You know, he was pure graft. You know, the work ethic was as good as anyone I've ever seen in a Liverpool shirt. In terms of, you know, he played like he'd grown up just down the road rather than than over in Holland. And yeah, and he scored some really, really important goals for Liverpool, didn't he? He was, I, I think, back to the hat trick against Man United. And I think you know, probably add them all three together, it was about 12, 12 yards that hat trick. And and then you know one of my other main memories of him in a Liverpool shirt was just how much that League Cup triumph in 2012 meant to him because I know when you look back now you think well it was only the League Cup but you know Liverpool hadn't hadn't won anything for what was it six years at the time and I was remember waiting for him in the mix zone at Wembley and he he was out on the he was the last person that yeah he literally had to be I think dragged off that pitch by the the Wembley caretaker who was trying to lock up because he just. He didn't want to leave it. He still had the trophy in his hand. He was having pictures with his kids and his extended family because that was for him was like the culmination of all that graft of, of finally I've won a trophy with Liverpool. And it was a shame that he wasn't part of a more successful era. There was obviously, you know, lots of near misses when you think of Athens and, you know, the, the Premier League title push 2008-9. I know he's coming back to Anfield for the Merseyside derby actually in October. And he's one of those ex-players that you don't even have to wonder, do you? He is going to get some reception. I mean, he'd get in the Everton team now, wouldn't he? <laughs> um, but no, no, let's move on from that. Moving swiftly on. You know what? It is one thing that sometimes players who do get a lot of stick, they do stuff that, you know, the man in the streets, the fan, or even the reporter in the press box doesn't see. I remember talking about, you know, you brought up James there, um, 2008-2009, when they should have won the title. But what they did is they won 4-1 at Old Trafford on that great week when they beat Real Madrid 4-0 as well. But I remember talking to Rafa Benitez about that. And he said the key to it is he realised that Evra was the outlet ball. So, you know, whenever United go at the back, the centre-earths, instead of, like, punting them forward, they just knock it wide to Evra. So he said, what it is, is to put their count on him. He pushed him right up on him and kept him there and said to him, be really disciplined, just stay there. No matter what's going on, stop ever being the outlet ball. And that put Vidic under real pressure there. And so every time United knocked the ball forwards, lost possession and come back. And obviously, you know, he, 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 put, um, he put Torres on the outside of Vidic and told him to turn him on the outside. Next thing you know, off goes Vidic, Liverpool rampage. But he said the key to the game was there. I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I I was going to say that I think tactically he was an absolutely fantastic player. I, I remember reading a column in the Arsenal programme when Liverpool went there. I think they actually lost that game. It was the nice, your friend Christian Perslow signed Joe Cole, I believe. Um, <laughs> but uh, that, that's, that's another story. Um, but, 
But um, I remember reading a, a, a program column, and, and I think it might have been Steve Bowles or one of the sort of Arsenal tactical gurus who was doing like sort of a review of, of what to expect from Liverpool. And he highlighted Dirk Kite as being the player that they had to stop, basically, from because he did such a good defensive job and picked up such good positions that it became a real problem for any left-back that he came up against. You know, he was very, very good off the ball and finding a little bit of space, which allowed him to maybe make a little pass or, you know, a, a slight little opening to, that would help Liverpool in an attacking sense. But equally, defensively, he would stop the marauding fullback. Just at a time when sort of the, the, the fullbacks were becoming a real threat, you know, in, in an attacking sense. Like, not just a real threat, but one of the main, you know, attacking threats. So the other thing that I would say is I, I sort of tend to judge players by what they do when um, they're really under pressure or there's a real moment of pressure. And this leads back to another Arsenal game because I remember when um, when Liverpool went to the Emirates, I, I think I co- yeah I covered that game and it was under Kenny Dalglish. Liverpool got something like a 96th minute penalty where it really, de- you know, if Liverpool scored to equalise, it really dented Arsenal's championship challenge. And Dirk stepped up and struck the ball home I just remember thinking you would bank on him every single time to do something under pressure. He did it on countless, you know, a lot of occasions. I remember goals against Everton in the derby at Goodison Park, where let's face it, he probably should have been sent off for that challenge on Phil Neville. Um, That's a crime. (laughs) Um, But nevertheless, you know that he was getting absolutely, understandably, getting dogs abuse off the Goodison crowd. But it didn't deter him from taking a penalty and. And what, uh, did, did he take the penalty that won the game for Liverpool? I think yeah. he did. Uh, it's a long time ago. But as you said, Tony, he, in that season, that 2008-9 season, he was one of the most important players. I absolutely loved him. I think he often misunderstood, as you said, sort of people didn't really get him that much. But I think that the one thing that probably helped him, I did a bit of research into him at the time, and he wasn't really understood in Holland either. You know, he's from a little town called Katwijk, which is like a, a fishing town where the players tend to be like sort of big and strong rather than sort of small and technical or viewed as a bit of a backwater in Holland. And people there, you know, sort of never really understood why he was in the national team, but coaches loved him because he would do exactly what the coach wants, particularly if it was a a tactically disciplined coach like uh, Rafa Benitez. So I've got nothing but good things to say about him. I, I think... You know, some people would say, well, he sort of held Liverpool back in some ways. There was that sort of conversation. They wouldn't exp- explicitly say that. But I-, I just think ultimately Liverpool's squad around that time wasn't quite big enough. They didn't probably have a somebody who could replace Torres in the times that he was injured. I just think Liverpool's squad wasn't quite deep enough at the time to, to really get over the line when they needed to. But Dirk certainly was was a, was a major feature in that in that team who... Produce lots of outstanding moments, and I know like teammates love playing with him. And as as James said, his character really decent fella who cared about Liverpool, very approachable, very open, uh, very humble guy who um, just wanted to do his best. Really, I, I thought Liverpool got rid of him too soon as well because it was in that period where FSG was sort of trying to assess who the value of players who were getting on a little bit. I, I think he he merited another season and could have helped. Yeah. Liverpool uh, under Brandon Rodgers a little bit in that period, in that first season, maybe for another two seasons. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was definitely got rid of too soon, wasn't he? When you think that they basically offloaded him in 2012 and brought in Fabio Barini, yeah. cr- crazy, really. I know, I know Rodgers, when he came in, was told, you know, that to, to offload some of the, the older high earners, but 
yeah, Liverpool would have been would have been much better off keeping Dirk around at least for another year rather than flogging him to Fenerbahce. But you, you know, just picking up on what Simon said as well, I, remember, I think back to games even like during the darkest days of Hodgson when when of course Dirk was there, and he, I think what sums up a lot about him as a character as well is when things were at their worst, he still faced up and and did media, and and he felt that kind of duty that I think. I think most players just wanted to hide at that time. You know, why would you possibly want to talk about things? Because it was so bleak. Yet, you know, I remember even after the, the, the Merseyside derby at Goodison, the infamous one, when Hodgson came out and said, as, as good as we played all season and, and all the rest of it, you know, he was the only player in the aftermath of that who spoke. And the, and like, because he, he felt, I, I remember, the, the, you know, the Echo back page, it was, you know, we're so sorry. You know, we, we will. You know, we're hurting as much as you are. We want to put things right, and I think there's not many players who would have done that because, and that says a lot about him. That even, even at, you know, when it had reached that kind of dreadful state, his thought was, well, we've got a duty to face up and apologise for what we've just served up out there. Uh, well, it'll be good to see Dirk back at Anfield for the Derby, and hopefully, we'll never see anything like the Hodgson Derby again. you're listening to walk on brought to you by the athletic well let's talk about the europa league because it's coming on thursday thursday night football you've got to be up for it it's brilliant i mean what else (laughs) would you do on a thursday go to the pub watch england tony Oh my, no, 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 no. It's a level up from that, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, definitely, definitely. And you know what? It is, all right, well, you know, perhaps we're allowing ourselves to be a bit positive at the moment and say, this looks like a team that should finish in the top four. But a long, long season. And the Europa League is a route back to the Champions League. And you've got to be in the Champions League next year because... The uh, the system changes and there's more money available. I mean, I hate putting money over glory, but you know they, they, you've got to take the Europa League at least a little bit seriously and at least once the knockout rounds start. But what are we going to see, Simon? What do you think? Well, I don't know. I think you you're talking down the Europa League a little bit there, and I can understand why. I can't understand why because it's not the Champions League, but. When I think about some of my formative experiences watching football and watching Liverpool, they were founded in the UEFA Cup or the Europa League. Like, you know, you think about Alaves, amazing season, you know, which had a massive bearing on how people feel feel about that season when they reflect upon it. I know it's a different situation now and Jürgen Klopp is, you know, eight, eight nine years into his, his reign as manager. But, that, you know, the Europa League campaign that first season gave such... Energy, you know, and, and made Liverpool feel relevant again. And what I would say is, I think since since 2016, when they were last in the final, I think the competition's importance has been recognised more across football match-going fan bases based on the reality that, you know, it's very hard to win trophies. Yeah, yeah. So it's very, very hard to do it. And, you know, I think that realisation of... So to getting in the Champions League, finishing fourth, yeah, it's achievement. But I think a lot of match-going fans, actually, they definitely want to see a trophy. I mean, it's a, look at Everton. It's like, you know, obviously getting on for 30 years now. I'd rather not. I think I think if you were to ask their fans, would you rather win the FA Cup, the Europa League, 
or get in the Champions League. I know what the answer will be. So stay up. I think, well, stay up. Well, obviously that, that's a totally different conversation, I accept. But I just think that um, I, 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 it's a competition that I actually quite like. And I can understand why people sort of obviously don't want to talk positively about it because Liverpool are only in that competition off the back of a bad season. Uh, but it can be it can be the opportunity to relaunch as well, I think. And I think Liverpool's Europa League campaign last time around massively helped the feeling around the club. I know they lost the final. I mean, I remember being at the final. Um, was I sitting next to you in the, yeah, in you the were, final? Yeah, you were. Yeah, and I remember feeling so sort of deflated afterwards, you know, because obviously it meant that they, they didn't qualify for the Champions League and it, it felt like a long road back. But I think it only felt so deflating because of how brilliant, you know, the previous rounds have been as well. You know, the Borussia Dortmund game is is a game that will be remembered forever at Anfield by anybody who's certainly there, if not watching on TV. I think that was a game that... I, I, I make this my connection that I don't think Barcelona happens without Borussia Dortmund, even being totally honest, three years early, because people who were there have this, like, sort of memory. You know, when when, when Liverpool sort of, uh, 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 you know, up the creek, shall we say, like, sort of... and And, and then... There's a little bit of encouragement. People refer back to things that have happened in the past. When you're in the ground, you think, well, actually, this could turn around. And I remember thinking at halftime of the Barcelona game, well, it happened against Dortmund. That was my thought process. So anyway, there's a, there's a long answer to your question. But I, I just think that it can be the launch pad for, for, for something better in seasons to come. And given that this is a newish team, you know, there's been a lot of changes with the forward line and the midfield. I think it's a great opportunity for some of these players to really express themselves in a competition that Liverpool could win. And in years to come, it could be seen as an important... It would, I have no doubt it would be seen as an important achievement if they were to win it. And let's not forget, it's the only trophy that Jurgen Klopp has not won as Liverpool manager. So imagine if he does win it, he's going to say he's won the lot. Am I right in saying that? He won yeah. everything else, somebody? Well, I mean, we don't want to be in the Europa Conference League. But yeah, you, yeah, we get your point. Every, everyone he's competed for, it'll be the, the one... I, I think yeah. that is a really important point you made there, Simon. You know, it's not just history. It's like almost a continuum of... Continuum? Is that a word? Did I hear that on Star Trek The Next Generation or something? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I never don't watch it. I don't know where that come from. But anyway, there is... A, there is a continuum, which you know, you you you're like it's part of the the heritage, but it's it's part of the now. You know, if you've done these great feats before, you believe the possible, but it's it's that mentality that you you, you can win, and I agree. Barcelona is had its roots in games like the Dortmund game. But talking about roots and talking about development and talking about a continuum again, I don't know where I'm getting that one from. Uh Who's going to get the chances there, James? And how do you see it being a a stage for some of the young players? Yeah, I think it'll be a real mix. You know, you've got some senior pros there, haven't you, that need football. You think, you know, Simicus, you'd imagine, is nailed on to play at left back. You've got Wataru Endo that needs a game, you know, probably further, you know, further forward. You know, Nunes only played part of the game, didn't he, the other the other day, Graven Birch certainly needs needs a first start under his belt. But but I think you know it, it definitely will be the group stage a fantastic platform for some of those young players. Ben Doak, especially, I, I really don't see any need to to get Mo Salah involved in some of these Europa League games. I'd, I'd love to see Ben Doak get some proper minutes wide on that right because he's such an exciting talent. You know, Stefan Basetic is another one that 
you know, obviously made his breakthrough last season before injury cut his campaign short. You know, it's been a long road back for him, but he's now fully fit, been on the bench for a few games, you know, be chomping at the bit to get out there. Um, Bobby Clark is another one that I'd expect to be to be around it. So yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking. Actually, quite looking forward to it. I'll be over in Austria for the game, and it is. It's it's funny, isn't it? Because I think obviously for Liverpool, it's like probably most people thinking where on earth are Lask? It's in the the city of Linz, and you know it's it's a nineteen thousand seater arena. I think Liverpool have only got thirteen hundred tickets. And, you know, credit to Lask as well. I was checking before and the, the tickets for the Liverpool fans are £17, which um, makes a pretty refreshing change, doesn't it? Because usually when Liverpool come to town, clubs think, brilliant, you know, we can absolutely exploit them for all we can get and and, and rinse every last euro out of them. So, so they deserve a lot of credit for that. And I know, you know, as much as it may not mean an awful lot to Liverpool at the minute, you know, the game of the century was how it was being billed on the... The, the local newspaper site when I checked last night. So, um, so yeah, the mindset's got to be right. I, I think that's another really important thing is that, you know, people think, oh, it's the Europa League. It's a bit easier than the Champions League. It isn't. You know, a lot of these teams, I think what, what has sort of been proven, if you've watched the Europa League over the last year, few years, a lot of the teams who um, maybe haven't won so much over the last 20 years have seen it as an opportunity to you know, as, as as a massive platform and have and have improved massively in this competition. Um, so every game is is, is very competitive, really. Um, you know, I think I was a bit skeptical about the Europa Conference League when it when it started, but I think it's actually helped the Europa League as well because teams are getting more experience in Europe. So as James says, there's a, potentially going to be a, a big opportunity for some of the younger players who people talk about all the time. It'll be a really good test for them. It's not. It's not just going to be a nice bounce down the road for them. We'll really see whether you know whether the, some of these players are getting closer to the mark that they need to be to be performing in the Premier League. What I will say is, I think it'll have to be carefully managed as well because there will be need. There will need to be a you know a flickering of experience in the teams that play, particularly in the away games. You know, uh, all the teams are going to be absolutely desperate to beat Liverpool. It's the biggest game in 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 uh, Lask's history, you know. Union from Belgium, a relatively new club, who've who've really upset sort of the establishments in Belgium. They're going to be right up for it, so I, I think it'll be a really good test and a, a measure of of where some of these younger players are. At. But I do think you know I'm sure the manager is aware. But we'll, we'll it will have to be fair to some of these younger players to give them the experience around them to give them the, the platform to express themselves. Because we've seen sometimes in previous Europa League campaigns or uh, where, where it's just a young team and it's very disjointed. I would hope to see like a, a competitive Liverpool team that really tries to, uh, to, 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 to put the foot down and, and make its way through this competition. Yeah. And well, I mean, for me, you know, I grew up with Liverpool winning you know, before they won the European Cup, they won the uh, UEFA Cup, the secondary cup, and it was brilliant. I remember Borussia Mönchengladbach at Anfield and then Bruges, you know, great, great games, great days. And whenever Liverpool are on the march in Europe, it's a good thing. And that's it for this week on Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thanks to James and Sai, and to you for joining us. We'll be back next Wednesday, hopefully with a European victory under our belt. The Athletic.